This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. This might be one uh, one day in which the Affordable Care Act is not the primary focus of the incoming administration, but I do put the emphasis on the word might. Presidential executive order may get going once the inauguration is done, may happen uh, later the weekend or Monday. And if it does, will we see something happen to change the Affordable Care Act? We throw that question to two of our experts, Mark Pauley, professor of healthcare management and professor of business economics and public policy here at the Wharton School, and also joining us in studio, Rob Field, professor of law and professor of health management and policy at Drexel University, as well as a lecturer here at the Wharton School, joining me both in studio. Gentlemen, great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, so what are we thinking about this? I mean, I mean, obviously, this has been topic one. Uh, of President-elect Trump in the administration, uh, is this the first thing that that is is really put to task uh, when President-elect Trump actually gets to work? Well, he's going to need a bill, and the bill is still working its way through. Uh, they're using the reconciliation process to avoid the possibility of a filibuster, but it's still a, a few weeks off at least okay. before he can actually do that. Um, he may be doing things behind the scenes, though. A lot of this law depends on administration, on how subsidies are provided, on relationships with insurance companies, on the way navigators help consumers. Right. And he could make a lot of changes behind the scenes that start to whittle away at the law and he can do that on day one. Mark? Well, I think what, what the president-elect uh, still until <laughs> next got about is, you got about 45 minutes. What, what he's <laughs> promised, uh, which is to deliver uh, a program, a replacement program that will cost less, uh, have very low deductibles, provide uh, insurance to everybody, um, uh, uh, I guess based on what I know as a researcher, I say that's impossible, although right. I've been saying that's impossible all year long about politics in general, and so I'm not so confident of my powers of prediction. But what I think uh, c- could reasonably happen, uh, if a scenario would be uh, there could be some executive orders issued immediately to uh, cancel certain provisions of the Affordable Care Act and then a clever crafting of linking those immediate actions so he will have done something right away with the evolution of uh, the more serious uh, 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 and challenging changes is is what might happen. Well, so so he, the, the administration, the new administration may be able to say, yes, we did something right away. Uh, and the, and it would be somewhat substantive, but there's still a lot more that we're going to have to work on. If if he does go that route, what are a couple of things you think he would look at first yep. to make changes? So toss overboard uh, the employer mandate. Um, the okay. uh, Obama administration suspended it once. If somebody could suspend it again. Uh, I think there may well be, although this will, will be more politically sensitive, uh, some, uh, again, suspension of some of the uh, uh, free care provisions for things like uh, contraception, mm-hmm. certain kinds of contraception perhaps, uh, uh, de- deals with Planned Parenthood, uh, that sort of thing uh, that uh, could be done immediately. Uh, probably some of the other uh, minor provisions uh, of the 
law could be suspended as well as uh, there are some taxes that pay for it that are more in the category of nuisance taxes. They were put yep. in there to show that uh, the all of the evildoers would be have to suffer under Obamacare, but they're not Trump's evildoers, and sure. so he yeah. might uh, suspend a tax on insurance companies or on drug companies or something like that. Uh, but uh, this would, uh, in um, at least in my vision of what would be a rational approach, would be somehow linked to uh, uh, the beginning of a process that would be much more thorough. Rob? Yeah, I think the question is how much he's playing to the public and how much he's playing to Congress. Because as <laughs> Mark said, uh, there are a lot of executive orders that can throw monkey wrenches into the works of Obamacare. Right. Um, but it's not going to make the big public splash that an actual repeal bill will or a replacement bill. So he may start to do that to, to unwind the, the law or he may wait, let things go as they have been right. until he can do something much more dramatic. But as you talk about, Mark, th there is a bigger issue that obviously has to be, again, brought up, and it, and it has been. Uh, and obviously we've seen a, you know, a hearing or two on, on Capitol Hill about it, is the cost of, of health care right now. And the fact that things like the EpiPen you know, drew so much attention because of its cost. And, and Martin Shkreli, and, I mean, we have a, a system right now that obviously it, it works for some, but is not working for everybody right now. Uh, well, I don't know whether it's working or not, but it's working at a very high price. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which so, yeah. And if you are either unable or unwilling to pay that price, then by definition, it's not really working for you. Uh, and uh, I guess uh, my, my view is that uh, 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 short of some dramatic steps, which the president has actually hinted at a bit about drug pricing, but yeah. but even there, uh, even if even if a meat acts were taken to drug pricing, the kind of uh, cost reduction that would be needed to uh, pr uh, f fund uh, the the goals that he's outlined of coverage that doesn't have high deductibles for everybody, right. it just doesn't add up. Rob? Yeah, I, I think the Republicans have put themselves in an impossible situation if they're really going to come through on their promises. They have sworn that they're going to get rid of the individual mandate, which is what they dislike the most about Obamacare. Yeah. But then there's really no viable alternative to making the insurance market work and getting healthy people into the risk pool. Right. They've said they're going to make insurance available or at least accessible to everyone. Yeah. But how do you make it accessible at an affordable price to someone who's already sick or, or is older? And they have said that they're going to do something about drug prices. Um, but h how are they going to suddenly institute negotiations between Medicare and, and drug companies, something that they've studiously stayed away from yeah. uh, and something that the drug companies will yell and scream about if it ever comes close? So they've set up some pretty high bars for themselves, and it's going to be tough for them to meet those. But it, well, go ahead, Mark. Well, one way to get a perspective on this, though, I, I don't think it's going to be the end of the republic uh, no matter what happens. For, for one thing, the – People who are currently signing up for Obamacare, it just seems impossible. Uh, the the sign-ups are a little bit ahead of last year, but they're pretty much on track. Impossible to cancel that at this point. Right, exactly. So, yeah. so those people will be good for a year, and um, uh, uh, and that would give time to um, put something else in place. I disagree with Rob. I think there is 
although I'm in favor of the individual mandate because I think we ought to use it to make sure that everybody gets insurance, whether high risk or low risk. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think there is a way to deal with high risks uh, alternative to the individual mandate and the community rating in the plan, which is to create both high risk, which is in the Republican proposals, create high risk pools uh, that would be properly funded as, uh, as mostly as a short-term measure and longer term, uh, uh, once you require people to have insurance, require that insurance to be guaranteed renewable at uh, what are called class average premiums, which means your premiums don't jump if you get sick. You become a high risk. Most people don't start out as a high risk. Sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah. if, if uh, everybody when they were 25 uh, bought that insurance that guaranteed should they become a high risk, their premium wouldn't jump more than anybody else's. Uh, eventually, uh, uh, we we'd, uh, we'd, we we would have um, uh, uh, coverage that would uh, cover everybody except for those people who took a chance and dropped insurance, and right. then uh, you know they'd be out of luck. Uh, but uh, somebody's going to lose no matter what, and uh, uh, this may be this this is a strategy. I'm not necessarily. Uh, endorsing all of the Trump proposals, but this is a strategy which actually seems to make some sense to me. Rob? Um, I agree that there are alternatives. The catch is they're all very expensive. Well, the the cost of uh, subsidizing a person in a high-risk pool is uh, a replacement for the subsidy that they're getting now, which is uh, overcharging the low risks to make a transfer to the high risks. So uh, it's really the same money, uh, particularly if the uh, person who was uh, pay- whose premium was much higher than their claims because they're low risk was getting a big subsidy. The government subsidy money then goes from subsidizing their premium to subsidizing the people in the high risk pool directly. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it's not as it's not as bad as the Wall Street Journal thinks it is. I guess I would say. <laughs> Although, if you're also going to lower the deductibles and make oh, the coverage then, more yeah, generous, the problem then... the problem is health insurance is expensive for average risks. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that brings up a good point because I, in a couple of the articles I, I saw yesterday, they're still talking about the cost that uh, the people, the overall cost, is still going to be for this group now that has coverage for 2017 is still like five hundred and fifty four dollars a month. You know, which subsidies aside, that's that's you know, for how many people that are in the lower income or middle class tax tax bracket can afford that these days? You just you just can't. Yeah, they're going to need to keep some kind of subsidies. Yeah, um, I, I don't think everyone can can afford that. And you add that to the high risk pools, and you're starting to talk about some real money. Um, now, remember, most people on the exchanges are getting subsidies. Yep. Uh, it's it's well over half. It may be as, as high as three quarters. So for most of them, it's it's not an issue. That the big issue is the people who are just over the threshold. Yeah. Who make just a little bit more than four times the poverty level, and for them, they've got to pay that five hundred dollars a month, and and that's a big hit. Your comments are welcome at eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. If you'd like to join in, our guest Mark Pauly of the Wharton School, Rob Field of Drexel University eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. As we talk about some of the challenges of the Affordable Care Act and some of the ch- potential changes that we may see as well. One of the other things that has been brought up, I've brought it up. A couple times, I think it's important to discuss is the fact of of the choice uh, of the fact that in the last year or two, that level of choice has gone away for many people in many locations around the country. 
So let me give you my perspective on that, which is the choice of insurance companies has been reduced. Yes. But yeah. each insurance company offers still has many different few different plans. ideas, correct. So you still have those four levels, gold, silver, platinum, right. and so yep. forth. Yep. And within those, you have different choices. So it's it's not clear that the, the choice of the product changes, the choice of the company changes. And where that's significant is then you don't have competition. Yep. And that's what's been holding down prices. Right. I mean, you may have a Blue Cross logo tattooed on the, on your bicep, uh, but most people really don't have that much brand loyalty uh, when it comes to insurance companies. So the main downside of the departure of firms is not so much a restriction on the choice of a variety of plans with different levels of cost sharing or maybe even different um, – uh, uh, networks, uh, it's that uh, there isn't competition helping to hold down those premiums. And there is some evidence that competition did help to hold down those premiums, although the magnitude of the uh, 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 cost uh, containment that competition can be among insurers can produce is pretty limited because 85% of what insurers pay out uh, uh, 85% of what insurers charge is uh, what they have to pay out to pay for claims. It's right. not their money and competition can't make them charge less than what they're paying out. Is is it a system that, that we can start to, to, to really get some movement on and, and to try and make some notable positive change on? Or are we still a ways away from, from that happening at this point? Well, I think practically, yes, absolutely. The question is how the politics will play out. Right. Um, I think finding alternatives to the mandate, if you can find something that's affordable. Um, the employer mandate has been a real issue for smaller companies, sure. yep. 50 or more employees, and you have to do the same thing that General Motors has to do. And, yep. and a lot of those smaller companies have a real problem with that. So I think that would be an area to tinker with. Uh, the functioning of the exchanges. If you're going to keep the mandate, it's got to be more enforced. Part, part of the problem is the penalties are fairly low for a lot of people, right. and a lot of people can slip through the cracks. Um, so those two things would make a huge difference. Um, we also should not lose sight of all the other provisions below the ocean surface and in this iceberg that are crucial to the overall workings of it. There's been a little bit talk of talk about Medicaid. But yeah. The expansion of Medicaid yeah. is responsible for more of the newly mm -hmm. uninsured uh, than the exchanges. Um, it's also a, a key building block for safety net hospitals and uh, Medicaid, uh, cutting back on Medicaid would have a crucial impact on the viability of a lot of rural and inner city hospitals. And then there's dozens upon dozens of provisions that have to do with everything from electronic medical records to calorie counts in restaurants to breastfeeding at work. Yeah. Um, so even if the exchanges went away, there's a tremendous amount in that law that's been having a huge effect for the last five or six years on the way our system focuses. Um, and removing them could disrupt a lot. Mark? I think uh, there are two things that could lead to changes, although in both cases, I think the jury's out on how happy we will be with them. One is there has been a massive, or at least there is in prospect, a fairly massive overhaul in the way Medicare pays uh, through right. accountable care organizations uh, and other uh, sorts of risk-sharing arrangements. Um, uh, economists are born skeptics, so even though 
some of my former students were in charge of this. I'm worried that they haven't really shown that they they do that much in terms of cost containment, although they do seem to have a little better track record in terms of improving quality. Uh, but uh, that, but the cost problems, <laughs> the problem that we're uh, that that that's uh, uh, at least more um, uh, 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 essential to deal with, um, uh, uh, and so there, so there's um, all sorts of. Um, uh, things being tried, what the Republicans, I think, have in mind, at least some of the rhetoric, it's good Republican rhetoric, let's open this up to competition across insurers, across state lines, yeah. let's allow entry of different types of plans that are not necessarily restricted to the metallic levels, and knock yourself out. Right. And hope that competition will work its magic and we will end up with something which is not cheaper than what we have today, but cheaper than it might otherwise have been and better and so forth. Generally, my faith in the power of competition is unfettered, but I'm not sure that they're going to be able to pull off very much, especially in terms of cost containment, although I do think there's a lot of opportunity for improvement of quality of care, especially in terms of how much attention it pays to the patient. And then on the Medicaid, let me just make one quick yeah. point on that. What Republicans want to do with that is block grant it. Uh, and that could, in the laboratory of democracy, produce Medicaid arrangements, which are actually better than what we currently have. Um, but, uh, of course, a crucial thing is not just whether you say block grant, but how much money you put into the block grant. And if right. you put a $1.98 into it, uh, competition is not going to be able to do its magic. Rob? Yeah. Um, in terms of the selling across state lines, that's something I'm very skeptical of. There are three states that have tried that. They have said, we're going to open our borders to insurance companies from everywhere. And they had no takers. Um, competition huh. is magical in a lot of areas, particularly consumer goods. But think of a health insurer. It's not like fire insurance. You have to have a network of providers. Um, so they have to sign up doctors and hospitals and others, and that's a huge process. Well, and the also is the fact that uh, when you think about this topic in general, I mean, this is not something that, as you alluded to, it's not like going on eBay or Amazon right. or buying something. This is something that obviously a lot of people need, but they either they don't have the the understanding of the system in general, or they don't want to have the understanding. Right. And that's why so many people, I think, are happy when their business provides them health insurance, because right. it takes a lot of the work out of the process. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i fortunate. I have employer-provided coverage, yeah. but uh, partly uh, because of what I do for a living, I feel I'm... I, I should figure out what's going on on, on there on those uh, online exchanges, and I've fiddled around and tried to figure out what would be available for me if I needed it. Right. And it was it took a lot of time and a lot of calculations, and uh, you know you would need uh, either a, an algorithm or a pad to figure <laughs> out the copays, the deductibles, the premiums, the networks. Um, I'm putting money aside. I, I'm glad I don't have to do that. Yeah, not to cast aspersions on any of our wonderful Philadelphia hospitals, but I went online and looked at the cheapest plan and what were the hospitals in its network. And let us say on the prestigiometer, they certainly did rate <laughs> yeah. very highly. Uh, they probably are perfectly fine places, but uh, uh, but uh, you, uh, at least a lot of people might not think that, that this is necessarily the well, place were, for the best surgeon in town. What were the lowest rates you, that you were seeing when you were checking this out? Uh, I can't remember, but yeah. the, the differences... Uh, 
uh, the differences w- within plans are quite substantial. Right. Uh, but uh, the people do are are fairly rational. They tend to gravitate toward the plans with the lowest premiums. In fact, sometimes they even buy the bronze plans, which have the lowest premiums, when they could have a silver plan that has subsidized uh, cost sharing. So it's a much you get much more for your money, right. but it's a little more money. Yeah. So, uh, and that's because, just as you said, not everybody is like us and gets up in the morning and worries about health insurance. <laughs> they just want to kind of set it and forget it at best. And uh, 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 the uh, administration put an enormous amount of effort and money into informing people, but um, um, I still believe. Uh, that there's a future for group insurance run by well-managed groups and Mm -hmm. still half of the population is essentially unaffected by whether Obamacare is abolished or not because they're getting insurance through their employer and that's not really going to be affected in any appreciable way. Uh, And uh, I uh, think that that, uh, if they if if the uh, if your benefits department is doing a good job, uh, that's probably the best way for you to continue to get insurance. So, uh, moving although there are some people who are predicting that everybody will be on exchanges uh, in twenty years, including some of my colleagues here, uh, I I just don't think that's uh, likely to happen unless there's some political decision that it has to happen. Yeah. Rob, a little bit of historical perspective. So two state experiments with what Obama did. Massachusetts, Romney Care, as we now yep. call it, yep. which was the model for it, which seemed to chug along very successfully from 2006 to 2014 when the ACA went into effect. Mm-hmm. Um, it had the same system of uh, a mandate and Medicaid expansion and an exchange. Now, Massachusetts has distinctive features. It has one insurance company, Blue Cross, that dominates the whole state, but they were able to pull it off. In the early 90s, the state of Washington put in a similar system. Uh, Later, the the political parties changed in the legislature and they pulled out the mandate and they cut back on the subsidies and that system collapsed and no insurance company by the late 90s would sell individual policies in Washington. So I think the, the point is that these exchanges can work but they have to be handled with care and that if you just start pulling straws out uh, that the whole edifice can collapse. And I think, again, that is, is a risk for the Republicans having, them, uh, having set themselves up to eliminate the mandate, to not break the bank, and to make sure that everyone can be covered and that no one covered under the ACA now loses coverage. Yeah. Um, that's going to be quite a juggling act. Well, they, seemingly, and, and we're talking with Mark Pauley of uh, the Wharton School and Rob Field of Drexel University, I, I don't think there's – and it was brought up during the – uh, during the uh, the campaign, in that there were elements uh, of the Affordable Care Act that Mr. Trump did agree with. Uh, obviously, the pre-existing conditions, uh, you know, was was one that he talked about, uh, allowing people to mm-hmm. you know stay on their parents' health coverage mm-hmm. until 26 was something that that he agreed with. So I guess the question then becomes is as this kind of works itself out, how much do you think of the Affordable Care Act that we've known? over the last couple of years, will end up being a part of what we potentially see with the plan that the Republicans and Donald Trump bring forward. Yeah. Um, Trump also said he supported the individual mandate. There was, yeah. a, there was a, a, a tweet on that way back. So yeah. who, who knows uh, what, what will come out of his Twitter account um, after <laughs> noon today. Right. Um, but uh, 
he, in some ways, uh, may, may turn out to be quite ironic, seems more insistent on broad universal or close to universal coverage than a lot of his colleagues in Congress. Right. And I suspect that there's a lot of discord beneath the surface within the Republican Party that hasn't bubbled up yet that's going to play itself out as they actually try to figure out a replacement plan. Mark? Yeah, I guess my my vision of how this could all turn out to be okay, although I'm very terribly worried about it, is uh, what we would end up with would be uh, something that still would have many of the qualitative characteristics of Obamacare. It would still have subsidies that are generous to low-income people, and they'd go down at least up, for, up to a point as income goes up, although some Republicans want to level them out a little bit more. And the coverage would also be very generous for low-income people, but then the minimum coverage you'd have to have would go down as your income goes up. What would disappear would be, in a sense, the whole uh, overburden of regulation of insurance that yeah. was part of the Affordable Care Act, including, I hope, uh, the community rating. Uh, and replaced by um, high-risk pools and the uh, 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 requirement that uh, uh, people who – or the, the provision that people who continue their insurance coverage uh, won't be re-underwritten. Um, the main flaw we have uh, right now is uh, that if you drop – if I were to drop my – well, so I'm, I'd go on Medicare, but uh, – I'm terrified to go on Medicare. It's why I'm still teaching. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but if, if I were younger and uh, uh, dropped my uh, group insurance coverage, then um, I, uh, un under the old regime, if I had what I have, which is high blood pressure, I'd have problem getting insurance. Right. So what you need is mandatory group to individual conversion. Uh, and that would solve the problem, um, particularly over time, of the high-risk people as long as they stayed insured. The only problem would be the foolish people who would drop insurance and then, you know, what would we say to them? This hurts me more than it hurts you or something like that. But so I think there's a, a way to think of a streamlined uh, version of Obamacare without a lot of the uh, unnecessary bells and whistles that were put in for various political reasons or for various political constituencies. You can see how unrealistic sure. this yeah. is. But, uh, that, 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 but that would perform the function of getting at least some reasonably decent health insurance to every American. And I'd favor the individual mandate to make sure that the evil Knievels of health insurance, the low risks who think even at a reasonable price I'm not going to buy it because yeah. it's never going to happen to me, th that they wouldn't be allowed to behave that way. Big question. What's it going to be called? Is, well, is it Trump I, care? I was just saying, care? I was just saying, thinking that to myself because we actually had somebody that, that brought up the idea that of it being called Trump care. Uh, and, and a lot of people have said, well, look, with some of the, the opinions about it now being called Obamacare, why would President-elect Trump want to make it Trump care? Because a lot right. of people see Obamacare as a negative thing right now. Obviously, many people see it still as a, as a positive thing. Well, it was meant as a pejorative term to yeah, begin with, exactly. and then, and then yeah. it got you. Maybe it'll be called Obamacare or or Americare. Uh, Obam Americare. Obamacare. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I th I think it should be labeled Obamacare Plus. But, uh, <laughs> there you or, go. Or minus, maybe. Yeah, or minus. Yeah. <laughs> Great to have you both here. Happy New Year to both. Thanks for coming in. Sure. Thanks. Mark Pauley from the uh, Wharton School, Rob Field from Drexel University. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.